We're on now. All <laughs> right. Um, we have a hard time thinking or believing that we're worthy of damnation. We don't take our sins seriously enough. We compare ourselves to others or we say, at least I'm not like that. Or we pray like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner like everybody else. Um, or we say things like, well, nobody's perfect, right? And we're okay with that. Um, those are attitudes and signs of a callous heart, which is extremely dangerous and deadly. I was listening to a sermon this week, and the preacher was talking about how the numbers of uh, the amount of Catholics who participated in confession are way down. But the numbers who take communion are about the same. He also said a professor asked some students to write an anonymous essay on a struggle with sin, a fight in their lives over good and evil. Most students never turned in the essay. And their excuse was they didn't have a struggle with sin to write about. Really? Yeah. And this was back in the late 90s. So there's a diminished sense of sin. People really don't think they're that bad. They may feel bad about a lot of things, but there's no conviction of sin. And there's a big difference between feeling bad and having a heartfelt conviction of sin. Um, so it kind of shows us, if we're going to witness correctly um, or teach and preach correctly, we have to hit the, the heart. And that's why I love the Ten Commandments and what we're seeing so far in Romans. is Paul's using them in a mighty way, you know, to... To get at the heart, to because um, we we really don't think that's we're that bad. That was me before salvation. I didn't commit any of the big enough sins to put myself in jail, so I thought I was good. <laughs> Simple as that. All the guys in jail were going to hell, not me. But um, with the law, without the law, or a law to ourselves, we all fall short. We can all be deceived by our achievements, our moral standards and our religion. Apart from the supernatural work of God Almighty and us through the Holy Spirit, nothing we do can satisfy the wrath of God that we all deserve. Nothing but the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and God making that perception known to our hearts. These particular verses that we're going through this morning are most definitely addressed to the Jew. I have more commentaries on Romans than any other book in the Bible and they're all over the place on some of these verses. So I kept saying to myself, thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> no, I kept, no, that's not true. I kept saying, find an application here for us today and work it out that way. And that's what I did. Um, most of the time I would give an application for us at the end, but I think it would be wise this morning to address it first. So the most important passage today out of these 13 verses is, do you teach yourself? Extremely important. Do you teach yourself. Hold on to that as we go through this this morning. The passage starts off in verse 17, you call yourself a Jew, but it could easily be read, you call yourself a Christian, a born again, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, Calvinist, Arminian, Catholic, or some sort of religious title. Be warned that it's about the heart, the internal man, and not the external. Too many people, I'm afraid, are trusting in something more or other than faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. So pretty much up to this point in the letter, 
to the Roman church other than a few verses from last week, the Jew could be saying, yes, address those pagans, those dogs who live any way they want without the law and the rules. Let them have it. Tell them about the wrath of God. They could be amening Paul pretty much up to this point. Following the law and being a good moral and upright citizens are good things, but they won't save you. You still need the gospel. I think all of us are inclined to look back at what we have done when instead we should be looking back at what God has done in our lives by His amazing grace. What are we trusting in? Day by day, month by month, year by month, year by year. Church membership, church attendance, baptism, confirmation, our teaching, our preaching, our voices, our instrument playing, our generous tithing, our hospitality, all good things, right? But worthless if done with the wrong motive. Um, I know a lady I was talking to this week is a devout Catholic, and um, there's a new church in Sturbridge. They meet at a movie theater. I think it's called Life Song. And um, <clears throat> I guess they have one main place where the main church meets. And then at the movie theater, they stream in the pasta and the sermon and stuff. And uh, she says it's pretty cool that uh, a lot of people that every week come to see a movie and they end up going to church to check it out, you know. So, so that's a good witness. But she's been a Catholic all her life, and they're pushing her to get baptized. And um, I'm wondering if she's ready for it. I'm really, because her view with the Catholic Church is all good. You know, um, so I'm wondering where she is. Of course, that's that's kind of me anyway. I kind of doubt everybody's salvation sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> including my own. Um, no, that is that is kind of me. But um, but yeah, you know, it's like leave her alone and let her come to that decision that she should be baptized. That's how I feel anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, it's like you got to do this, you got to do that, and it's like. Wh- it's you follow the lead of the spirit. Um, so the law is screaming out grace and mercy. God's chosen people should have known this. Exodus thirty four six. The Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin. The Jew, the chosen ones of the God, who knew the Bible, they knew that they had the Torah, the book just like we all know the Bible, I hope. But they weren't teaching themselves. They didn't get it. They didn't have faith. They had rules and rules and rules and works and works and works. They missed it completely. What a tragedy that people can be so religious and miss out on salvation completely. It's always works and rules that people fall into. Grace by faith must seem like it's just not enough. Um... There's two kinds of Christians out there that I sometimes worry about. And some of them, they made a decision years ago and they would agree with everything you have to say about the Lord um, and they believe they're saved. Oh yeah, I walked that out. I raised that hand. I'm right with God. But they haven't been in church in years and their life really doesn't show it. And then the other, the other ones really aren't condemned from their sin. And they made a profession of faith and then they just go right back to the life they live. Um, They're deceiving themselves. They think they're good. They think they're fine with God and they're going to be shocked 
on that day of judgment. Um, just, it just amazes me. But in verse 27a, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew, they were once called Hebrews for the language they spoke, Israelites after the land they had been promised. By the time Jesus was on the earth, the most common name was Jew, which is derived from Judah. They wore the name with great pride, honor, and privilege. The name Jew marked them as a unique and special people chosen by God. Genesis 12.3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a privilege, what a blessing. And that, that all applies to us right now. That's, that's Christians. Verse 17, but if you bear the name Jew, a bit of sarcasm here from Paul, because they are only Jew in name. They are not born again. They have been circumcised in the flesh only and not in the heart. And we'll see that at the end of the study in 28 and 29. Paul is making the point that they are really Jew by name only, by heritage, by birth, and not by faith. We are more Jewish than the real Jewish people. They rely on the law and they boast in God. That statement doesn't sound that bad, does it? But they didn't get it. They couldn't live up to the law. And I have to say, they had to know it. They've been chosen people of God, made them proud. They thought they were something special, which they were, but not because of them, because of God. Um, their boasting in God was really a way to boast in themselves. Verse 18 says, And know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructors from the law. The law showed them how they were to live. It revealed God's will for them for their lives. They know what God desires for them in their daily living. They approve it. More than just possess the law, they gave hearty approval to it. They agree and approve that, the, that following the law is essential for living a life to please God. Is, isn't it so far, is it not all good? Is it, is it not all right? You know? Um, so we're going to see four huge spiritual advantages that Paul addresses. And we're also going to see um, four claims to those four advantages. Um, number one, God has given us his law. Number two, he has entered into a special relationship with us. Number three, because we have been given his law, we know his will. And number four, we approve only the most excellent of human moral standards. All good stuff, right? Could we not all say the same thing? God has, God has given us his law. He, we have the book. We have, the, we have his holy word. He has entered into a special relationship with us because he gave us eyes to see and a heart to believe. We're in a right um, standing with God in a special relationship because we have, been given his, 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 we have been given His Word and through His Word we know His will, right? We approve only the most excellent of human moral standings. That's all us, right? I hope. So this is all good. Now here's the four claims to those four advantages that Paul said they have. They, um, number one, to be a guide for the spiritually blind. Number two, to be a light for those who are in the darkness. Number three, to be an instructor for the foolish. And number four, to be a teacher of children. Once again, that's all stuff we do, right? 
I hope, in some one sense or another. Um, this is all good and all true so far for the Jew and the Christian. Of course, this is what gets us in trouble with an unbelieving world. They would call it spiritual arrogance, um, um, arrogance or prejudice, and no religion has special claims to the truth, but we do. <laughs> it is true. It is a special re a revelation from God, from His Holy Word. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, correction, and reproof and, and training so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. It's important to note that anybody that disagrees with you that you have exclusive truth is making the claim that they have exclusive truth. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and I, it's always worth pointing out to people. Right. You know what I mean? If we're not the only people that claim to have exclusive truth. Right. Anyone, as soon as somebody disagrees with you, they say, they're, they're saying, suggesting there's a truth to which you need to concede. Right. 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 Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. Um, verse 19 through 20. And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So here we go with our four spiritual advantages. A guide to the blind refers to those without law. It refers to the Gentiles, the pagans. They are the ones outside of the family of faith. It means to be a witness to those who don't know or have the truth of God. Jews in general and the scribes and the Pharisees in particular considered themselves to be superior mentors of the community in spiritual and moral matters. They saw themselves as religious guides to their unlearned Jewish brethren and especially to the spiritually blind Gentile pagans. But in reality, Jesus charged them with being blind guides, the blind leading the blind. Far from being qualified to guide others, they were in desperate need of spiritual guidance for themselves. It's amazing when you think about it can, that we can get to that point. Can pe people do get to that point where they know the truth, but it hasn't entered their heart? They know what God desires for them, and they're teaching others, but yet living a life totally different. How do you do that? You know, how? this doesn't make sense. So I, they had to be thinking because of them having been revealed the law from God, made them special. And that's all they needed. They were a special breed from God, and they were separate, and the law didn't apply to them. So their job was to go out and preach it to all us Gentiles to, to get right with God, when really... And if they did, because God could still use them, right? I mean, God can work through a mule. I say He can work through anybody. Um, they could preach the... Uh, the the Bible to someone and, and someone could come to saving faith and they still be lost. You know, this is a scary situation when you think about it. You know, a scary place to be. Um, so there are light to those who are in darkness. Is that not exactly what God had intended for them to be? In Isaiah forty two verses six, God called His people to be a spiritual light to the Gentiles. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is heaven. Shine your light in darkness, in a dark world. 
But you yourself need to come to the light first to receive the light before you can shine any light. Number three, um, spiritual privilege for God's chosen and instructor of the foolish. Again shows the Gentile world spiritual wisdom. The Gentiles have worldly wisdom and they needed spiritual wisdom from above through God's chosen instrument. Paul says the Jew was supposed to be teaching the law, the wisdom of God, to the spiritual foolish, spiritually foolish. The self-righteous Jew thought of himself as a teacher of children. This is Sunday school for children. Spiritual babies who need to be taught the Word of God, that is Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 6, 7. The Israelites were to teach the younger generations, those who were immature, the law of God. Paul concludes these spiritual privileges saying that Jews practice these things because they have the law. He says in verse 20, having in their law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. The embodiment has the basic meaning of an outline or sketch. Or sketch. It therefore seems better to translate the word here as semblance or appearance because throughout this passage, Paul emphasizes the religious superficiality of most Jews of his days. Paul uses the same word in 2 Timothy 3.5 where he says, warns of men in the last day will, who will hold a form of god godliness although they, they, although they will have denied its power. In both passages, the idea of counterfeit is implied. So they counterfeit people of God, not truly God's children. Having everything they need to be God's children, but not being saved. So because of what God revealed to them, the Jews were to be a guide, a light, a corrector, a teacher, because they possessed the law. This was their intended purpose, but they failed. They failed to, to do this to themselves. The embodiment of knowledge and truth, the law gives knowledge of God and man. The law gives knowledge of one's desperate need of salvation through Christ. The law gives knowledge on how one living for glory of God is to live. What a blessing. What a gift we have from God. And the Jews had that. And what a blessing and gift that we have. You know? Um, especially in this country. How much God has blessed us. Uh, with what we have in the Word and the freedom to proclaim it, we can easily place ourselves right now in place of the Jew in this passage. And I, and I believe it's happening. I believe there's people out there um, that are proclaiming God's Word that, that aren't God's. We know that from the health and wealth preachers. You know, They have it. They have the truth. And some, some of the things they say are true. Some are not, but some are. Ahead, Did you see the Benny Hinn this week or the last two weeks? No. He came out and said that that uh, he's been wrong about his theology and that it's wrong to, to, to make a you know to be profiting off the Holy Spirit kind of thing. It's a drastic change for him. That's good. A profound change. So. That's good. Yeah. He's the one. He's friendly with um, Kenny. They used to come to. That's right. That's right. So that'd be good for Kenny to hear. Amen. Yeah. You know, that's good. Praise God that people, when convicted, will say that publicly, Amen. you know? That's yeah. awesome. That's a good sign. That's a good word. All right. Verse 21 and 22. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? 
You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Paul is now exposing them big time. He's saying here that you're guilty. Every Jew, just as every Gentile, falls short. We're all guilty. Even if they never stole or committed adultery or robbed temples, they all did something. The law should have convicted them, condemned them, broken them, but it didn't. Their hearts were callous. I mean, doesn't that what it, it does to us when we hear or when we read, this is what God expects from you, and you, don't, and you fall short of that? Do we just say, oh well, there's grace for that. That would be cheap grace. You know, it should it should hurt. It should hurt when we are when it's exposed that we have fallen short. Um, we must apply the word of God to ourselves first before we bring it to others. Um, I often wonder when someone says to me after hearing a sermon or a lesson that that would have been good for somebody else to hear, and it's like. Did you hear it? <laughs> you know, it's for you. You know, every time um, the Word of God is open and it's taught or studied, there's an opportunity there to be transformed into the image of Christ, to grow in grace. It's all for us. Apply it to yourself. Do we teach ourselves? They wouldn't apply God's truth to their heart, the Jews. It was hypocr hypocrisy. Um, the Eighth Commandment. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? They were stealing the glory of God and putting on a show for their own glory. They were making much of themselves and little of God. They were stealing the glory of God. Remember, Paul was in his shoes at one time before his salvation. We're all guilty of stealing from the Lord what isn't ours. Keep yourself humble and make much of Jesus. So they were stealing. They were stealing. They were stealing um, every time we sin, we steal from the glory of God. We say that we dishonor God. and say, no, I, I'd rather do this. You know? Um, the seventh commandment, you who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Very easy to do, especially for the unsaved. According to the Lord's teaching, lust is the equivalent of adultery. Just as hate is the equivalent of murder. That's Matthew 5. He could have said, you who say don't murder, do you murder by your hate? And once again, this sin could relate to their relationship with God. They should be the bride of Christ, the husband of, of the church, and they are not. They're committing adultery. Paul is basically saying, you who know what is right and wrong, think that you're exempt from the law. Do you practice what you preach? What a beautiful example of what our preaching and teaching should sound like. Appealing to the law of God and asking blatant, in-your-face questions. You who say you shall not steal, how did you do with your income taxes this year? Did you find any loopholes? Uh, how about your eyes this week? Did you protect them from those around you at work, from the woman in the gym or watching TV? What kind of movies and shows did you look at this week? It's like a court scene and Paul has them on the stand and they're all sworn in and he knows they're guilty and he's trying his best to activate their consciences and appeal to their hearts to show them that they truly are and, and to convince them to admit to their sins 
and cast themselves on the mercy and the grace of the Lord. That's the first step, or it's never going to happen. Our last question, which was really the toughest one, and this is where the commentators were all over the place, and it is kind of strange. Um, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Now this is the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not have a graven image by which you worship me. So the religious Jew may say, no, we're not going into pagan temples and stealing their idols, because that's where the idols were, in pagan temples. So we're not breaking the first and second commandment. But Paul would say, yes, you are. You have idols in your heart. There are things in your heart more important than God to you. Your money, your job, yourself. I believe anyone not truly born again are guilty of all three of these charges with God. Um, of breaking these three commandments. Or four commandments, actually. Just amazing how perfect Scripture is written. Um, that Paul would go to this and, and expose them this way. And it just shows you um, the Spirit of God working through the authors in, in, in Scripture. I mean, uh, who could come up with something like this other than God to expose these people to their truth, you know? To the truth that's going on in their life that they are blind to, you know? He really hits it perfectly. He says, you who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking the law. They were obvious hypocrites to those they were called to be a witness to. And, it, and there's nothing worse than, than that, than us um, hypocritically living in front of unbelievers. But it happens. We, you know, we, everybody, um, we have a, a, a flesh to kill daily and a spirit to feed. And uh, we can mess up in front of the world at times, and we have to apologize. But sometimes that can be a good opportunity to witness, too. To say, yeah, you know, I, I do, you know. If someone says, you who call yourself a Christian, I say, oh, you lose it yesterday, you know. I say, yeah, you know, I had a bad day. It, it can happen, you know. But we can turn it into a good, a good thing. Um, and that's been one of my greatest fears ever since becoming a believer, because I came out of a crazy and wild lifestyle before getting saved that I would fall back into it and dishonor God um, God forbid um, so verse 24 for it is written the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you and that's quoting Isaiah 52 and Ezekiel 36 and that's what happens when the people that are representing God mess up big time um it happened with me when I had to leave Holland Church. Uh, I, I told them. I told all the elders there. I said, because I, I was friendly with the people in town. They liked me, and I liked them, and we still do. And I said, they're watching us. They're watching us to see how we can handle this situation. And if anyone can make it right, it should be us because of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We had everything we need to make this work. Everything. But no. No. Man's pride got in the way and a bad witness, a bad witness to the world, you know? And the, and the world looks safe. They're just like us. There's nothing different. Sad situation. But every sin dishonors God. Sin committed by those who claim God's name dishonor Him the most. 
We're, we're the ones, a pagan sins, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't have the power to kill that sin. Um, we do. And, and that's another thing, how, how bad sin is. We, we're not called to um, make peace with sin. And this goes back to my introduction on how we take sin so lightly. We're called to kill sin, kill it, destroy it, to uh, take up a, a war with it, to put on our spiritual armor and to fight to, because it wants us. It wants to grab hold of it. If you're not going through some kind of struggle with sin, you may just not be His. I mean, that's the difference. You know, when God saves you, He exposes things in your life that are ugly, that He hates. And you've got to battle them. You've got to fight them. And you've got to kill them. You've got you to do whatever it takes. You don't make peace with sin. And say, well, I'll just go this far and not all the way. Go ahead. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Yeah, I was thinking of that today, you know, because it is possible for a Christian to backslide, um, but it's better to have a slip than a slide. <laughs> a little slip is easier to uh, make up for, but a slide takes a lot of work. Go ahead, brother. That's one of the reasons why we need to be involved with the body and involved Amen. with other believers, because that's one of the main ways that God keeps slips from becoming slides. Right. Amen. Yep. Break. Go ahead. I said it's an emergency break. Emergency break. Right. Right. Keep them breaks on. Yep. All right. Um, what else? Oh, let's, um, before we go into um, chapter 26, let's take a, a little gander over to Romans 9. And. This was Israel's problem, and this is what I was saying through right from the beginning. They did not have the faith that we'll see that Abraham had that justified him when God was dealing with Abraham thousands of years ago. Um, Romans 9, verse 30. Um, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? This is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. Simple as that. A lack of faith. The one thing God asked of them, the one thing that God asked of us, faith, trust, belief, they would not give to Him. Sad. It really is. Okay, um, verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Circumcision is of value if only if you practice the law, that is, live in obedience to God's will. To the faithful, obedient Jew, circumcision was a symbol of God's covenant. Um, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Who hasn't broken the law? What good is circumcision if you are a lawbreaker? Circumcision is an outward sign, and rather than freeing Jews from God's law, circumcision made them even more responsible 
for obeying it because that ritual testified to their greater knowledge of their sin, of God, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of sin, and of His will in regard to their life. Because that's what they were doing, being circumcised, following what God was commanding them to do, that they knew. They knew the will of God. They knew God's work. They knew God's um, commandments for them. So in, in a sense, it made them more obligated to do what was right than the, than the Gentile. Um, Paul wrote to the Judaizers in Galatians, you who teaching Christians were obligated to keep the Mosaic law. Paul said, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Be circumcised and keep the whole law. Yeah, good luck with that one. Not that we believe in luck. Ancient rabbi, rabbis formulated sayings such as, No circumcised Jewish man will see hell. And circumcision saves from hell. The mirage includes a statement, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised would be sent to hell. Abraham sits before the gate of hell and never allows any circumcised Israelite to enter. That was in the Mirage. That's a, um, like a commentary to the Torah. That's good, right? <laughs> oh, man. See what happens when you fall away from God's Word and you start adding your own things? Very dangerous. Go ahead, brother. And, and Paul points out you know, that it's obvious foolishness to think that an outward sign of you know, God's favor mm. is sufficient mm. to be comfortable with where you are. That if I have this outward sign, I can ignore, you know, all the things I'm doing that are dishonoring God. Mm. How is this one sign of his favor going to trump your life of sin? Right. You know, it's foolishness. Yeah, it is. And that, but I mean, if the rabbis were thinking that way and teaching that way, that's how these people were thinking. They're, they're in. They got the sign and they're in. Wally. I'm a little curious about this circumcision concept for the Jews because uh, it's not like baptism where uh, people come and see you be baptized. They don't, I don't think they really see you being circumcised. And so therefore, you know, how are people going to know that you're circumcised? Or unless you tell them, mm. you brag about it or you boast about it. I, I don't understand. Well, I think it was a big... They did it when they were like eight days old, right? Yeah, so it was a, like a, a big gathering. It would be like a baptism today. For the children, right? For the children, right. Yeah, but men were circumcised as well. Do you brag about it? Right. Huh? Right. Um, so, uh, verse, verse 26, we better go on. <laughs> so if man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Pleasing God is doing his will from the heart that loves the Lord. Pleasing God in obedience to his will 
is of great value, whereas circumcision without obedience is of absolutely no value. The uncircumcised man, that is a Gentile, who keeps the requirements of the law, God will look on him just as favorably as a circumcised Jew who keeps the law. Um, that, that's what it is. That's, it's about the heart, you know. It's about the it's about the inward the inward sign and not the outward sign. Um, keeping the requirement of the law because it is God's will for us is of great value, whereas circumcision without obedience is of no value at all. Meaningless. All right, twenty eight, twenty nine. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Amen. There's the big difference. There's the key. Born again Christian. Go ahead, Wally. I got it. You got it. Born again Christian is more a Jew than an unsaved Jew. Um, why? Because their heart has been circumcised, done by the spirit and not by the letter done by a love for God and not by following a rule. Big difference. The true mark of God on a child of God is not a mark on the outside for man to see, but a mark on the inside that God can see. And those around him will see by their living and their preaching and their teaching, their good works. The praise that the true born-again believer receives is not from men, but from God. Actually, uh, men may actually criticize us and uh, give us a hard time for what we try to teach and preach. Um, but who are we to be pleasing? God or man? Any more questions on this stuff? Uh, Go ahead. Well, uh, some of the women want to know how, how could they be considered part of the circumcised community when they were females? Circumcision of the heart. You know, a heart made soft, a heart made tender for God. To honor Him, to live for Him. You with me or are you against me, brother? <laughs> Go ahead, Barry. <laughs> well, Abraham and his, the men with him were circumcised before the law. And then uh, Jeremiah, though, in the Old Testament, spoke about circumcision of the heart. So he they knew then that it was about the inward heart. Right. Yeah. I wonder wh why is it we naturally gravitate towards works and, our, our, you know, and doing stuff. You know, it seems like all religions kind of, if not kept in check by the Word of God, have a tendency of going that way. You know? Kind of weird. Go ahead, sister. Because Adam did in the garden. Adam did the same thing. He did his, the works for us. Right. Big lead. Did so. so it's kind of like built into us. Yes, right. It's, it's, I think sometimes it's almost like a girdle. You know how you can use a girdle to protect your, as you lift things or as you do things. Ever since um, Lily read it, it was response in accordance with it. He kept reading it. And, but uh, it, it, it was, he was going to do things in his own strength. Mm. Right. He thought it was going to be good enough. And of course God said no, because it must be of the Spirit. Right. Right. Go ahead, sister. Well, 
Well, she was talking, and you know why do we think of the world? It's because if if it's a child behaves, oh, you know, you're a good kid, or he set the table without being asked. Oh, good, you know. So when we do work, we're praised. Right. That is a good point. So we're kind of conditioned that way mm-hmm. to do what is right. Our nature too is to see how we're measuring up. Where are we at with mm-hmm. God? Mm. And so, because you're talking about justification and sanctification, they're two different things. Right. And I think the trouble is we don't really trust in the justification as much as we say we do. Mm. We still want to somehow even the score, so we measure ourselves by ourselves, like Paul says, or we measure ourselves by others. Somehow that's how we feel like, okay, I'm doing okay. But right. that's not how we measure. We should be measuring ourselves. We measure ourselves by what's been given to us as a free gift. Amen. Never to be taken away. Amen. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Um, think about what what the sinful heart wants to glorify. And um, re- re- salvation through faith doesn't <coughs> glorify ourselves. It glorifies God. Mm. You know, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith whereas salvation by works glorifies ourselves that I am good enough to meet his standard mm. so I think that's a large reason why we gravitate towards that when we're not kept in check by scripture mm. right almost like uh, it's too easy it's too simple you know grace alone by faith alone and Christ alone you know it's like don't I have to play a part in that you know I mean, basically, it seems like that's what the Jews' would, response would be to Paul, is, you know, I know the law. I know what God requires, you know. Give me enough time and I'll fulfill it. <laughs> you know, I'll make it right. All right, anything else? Any other comments before we close? Brother. But those last two verses there, he is not a Jew which is one inwardly, but he is a Jew. Uh, he's not a, yeah, but he, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Mm-hmm. Does that have specific reference to the who the true Jew is? Like in chapter 9, he's not, uh, not all Israel is of Israel. Mm-hmm. Or does that verse have application to, to mankind in general? Like, every believer is a true Jew. Amen, that's how I would take it. Even circumcised in the inward parts. Right. There's a messianic teacher on on radio who who uh, you know st- states otherwise that Paul is referring to the Jew who's been born again. He's a true Jew, whereas the ones who are not born again, who haven't been circumcised in the heart, they're not a true Jew. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would say it's the, the true believer because right in these verses that we just did, that's what he's comparing: Gentile and Jew, Gentile and Jew. You know. And uh, throughout the book, you go all the way back to um, when he first proclaims the gospel in, in 1, 16 and 17, he's, where it says, faith by faith. I believe he's referring to there, Jew and Gentile. Right? So it's been a comparison all the way through. And so the true Jew, as far as I can see, is the believer, the child of God. So we're more, that's what I said earlier, we're more of a Jew than the Jew that was born a Jew, unsaved. We can say to a Jew, we're the circumcised, you're the uncircumcised. That's right. That's right. That's amazing. 
And they get their attention. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah. Right? But it's true. Go ahead, Darlene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you got to do. That's kosher. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I um my wife um was a doula helping deliver babies. That's what doulas do. And uh, she worked for a Jewish lady out in East Long Meadow, Meadow years ago. And um I mean they she really held herself this lady she worked for in very high esteem where um, Robbie couldn't even eat at the same table with her. You know, she really, she really thought she was something special, you know. Um, in a sense, she was something special, but so aren't we. <laughs> you know? Uh, especially those that truly get it. Those are the real special ones. Go ahead. saying that, I was just thinking, so if we put ourselves here in the place of the Jew in these verses, which we should do, because it's all true, and what they were given, we have been given, we're really held at a higher level, because we have a greater light. You know, we're, this side of the cross, we know, we know it all. We got the whole, we got the whole book. They didn't. Um, we got Jesus. You know, we can look back at the cross, so Christians, I think, are probably um, are held at a higher standard than the Jewish people were with what they had, because we have it all. We got the complete, the complete canon, you know. So there's some motivation to stay on your toes. Colossians two says that we are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, mm. and Christ is the circumciser. Mm. Isn't that something? It is something. Amen. I will build my church. Amen. Will add it to the church daily. Those who are being saved. He was circumcising Gentiles and Jews, and they became now his people mm. who worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen. Thank you, brother. Can you close this in prayer, Justin.
in those works and in our life we would not trust in our knowledge in our actions in our mm. outward signs of godliness lord but only in the blood of christ amen that we would live and die by your salvation mm. in jesus name amen amen thank you brother thank you good job class good job